want to focus on throughout this new series that we're calling In the Waiting. It's this truth that Advent is about more than just looking back to remember that Christ came. It's also about looking forward and being reminded of the fact that he is coming again. And so as people of Advent, what that means for, for you and for me is that we live in this in-between. Right? In between knowing that, that Christ has, has come to redeem us and waiting for him to, to come again. In between knowing that, that, that his blood has been shed for the forgiveness of our sins and yet being painfully aware of the fact that we are not yet at home with him. And so it's in this vulnerable space in between, family, where we have to wrestle with how to find hope in the midst of uncertainty. How we can be confident despite the doubts that we still have. And how we can be the patient people we've been called to be in the midst of a most impatient world. That's why I believe that Advent should be not just a moment of remembrance, but also our rallying cry. Advent should be a moment of remembrance, but also our rallying cry because we need to be reminded in those moments when we feel like God maybe isn't answering, where he maybe isn't there with us, that he is with us. And we need to, to rally around the fact that he has always been and will always be working both for our good and for his glory. Amen? See, family, when we see Advent as not just our reminder, but our rallying cry, we are drawn to this truth. That Advent isn't about how faithful we can be while we wait on God, but about how faithful he has been in his coming to us. And when we rally around that truth, family, that's when we can find the hope and the peace and the joy that he promises to us even in the waiting. So over the next four weeks, four messages, we're going to be looking to God's word and we're going to read the stories of his people because I want you to see for yourself. God's presence, and his purpose in the waiting. And here's the simple truth that I believe God is going to either reveal to us or remind us of in a powerful way through this series. It's that your waiting is never wasted when you're waiting on the Lord. Your waiting is never wasted when you're waiting on the Lord. I am so excited for this Advent season, and not just because it's a fun time, you get to look at fun Christmas lights, but more importantly, that we get to be reminded of Christ's coming. We get to rally around the fact that he is coming again. Are you all ready for this Advent series? All right, me too. Let's pause for a word of prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time and this space, Lord, for this family and for this fellowship. I ask, Lord, that you would use this time to reveal to us more of who you are and, and more of who you've called us to be. Lord, we're grateful to be your sons and daughters living in this in-between. So would you help us Holy Spirit, would you fill us afresh this morning? Would you lead us to living those fully engaged lives? Those fully engaged lives that speak to the truth of who Jesus is as we eagerly await his return. It's in his mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Well, I don't know about you guys, but uh, when it comes to the everyday things in life, I really, really don't like to wait. I'm a, I'm a microwave type of guy. You can ask my wife. I wouldn't put things on the stove, let alone in the oven. I'm only a microwave guy. I really, really, truly hate to wait. Waiting is honestly the worst, right? Which is why I'm so glad that we are in a generation where pretty much everything is geared towards like convenience and efficiency, right? I mean, think about this. We've got like a little rectangle in our pockets, right, where we can finish hours worth of errands and have dinner, warm dinner, waiting for us on our doorstep when we get home, if we wish. Anybody praising God for technology in this season? 
Yeah. The only problem is that the important things in life, well, last I checked, you can't find those on Amazon or on DoorDash, unfortunately. And yet what these, these tools of convenience have done is, is they, they've led us to expect that same level of immediacy, even when it comes to the most important things in our lives. So we get frustrated when our prayers aren't answered in the same time frame as our text messages. Or we get impatient, right, when, when God's not showing up as predictably as the Amazon van out front does. For some of y'all, I know that's every single day. Not throwing shade, I'm just saying, like, we come to expect God to show up as frequently and as predictably as these other things in our lives. And so we get frustrated, we get impatient. And the temptation then, family, is to see that time that we spend waiting as time that is wasted. We see it as time that we could have spent doing something else. Time we could have spent pursuing our goals or maybe even finding our own solutions to our own problems. Now that time that was waiting, we think is wasted. But family, let me remind you that waiting is never wasted when you're waiting on the Lord. Even if your season of waiting is longer than you expected. Even if that season of waiting is longer than you even thought possible. That's what we're going to see throughout this series as we look to the examples of the people of God. That just like us, their waiting was not wasted because they were waiting on the Lord. And so in the weeks to come, what we're going to do is we're going to look to the stories of the familiar Christmas characters. But I thought that we'd actually start this series off a little bit differently. I thought we'd start by looking at the, the people of God in general. What I mean by that is the Old Testament people of Israel. Because if you think about a people that, that has learned what it means to wait on the Lord, man, this people is it. Right? They regularly and repeatedly were waiting on the Lord to intervene. Not just in their, their present circumstances, but in the delivery of that promise of a Savior. So rather than starting in Bethlehem or even in the New Testament this morning, I want to invite those of you who brought your Bibles or Bible apps to open up with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms, we're going to be in chapter 13 this morning. And I chose this psalm because I think it really captures uh, just the emotions that are experienced when you wait on the Lord. So let's read it together. It's only six verses, Psalm 13, beginning with verse 1. The psalmist says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Now for those of you who maybe haven't spent much time in the Psalms, my, my guess is those first four verses may have thrown you off just a little bit. You may have been expecting a little bit more of a, of a joy-filled psalm, right? Especially in this Advent season. But what we find here instead is actually a psalm of lament. A psalm of lament is it's a song that's written to express deeper emotions, like sorrow and weariness and desperation. It's a song that doesn't shy away from the, the honest emotions of angst and frustration that we so often feel when we're waiting on the Lord. In a psalm like this, it should really tell us a couple of things. First, it should tell us that, that even 2,000 years ago, people were experiencing this type of emotion. 
right? We are not alone in experiencing these feelings when we're waiting on the Lord. It should also tell us that it's okay to feel this way when you are waiting on the Lord. See, some of us have this idea that God wants us to always just be, just be happy. No, he doesn't want us to be ignorantly happy, nor does he want us to be blinded to the, the pain that exists around us. What he desires, family, is simply that you would trust him in the waiting, to embrace these emotions, to understand that this is okay, to understand that having a holy discontent is an okay thing, but to trust him in the midst of that, to be obedient to him in the midst of that, to seek his purpose and his plan in the midst of that waiting. So I get that this psalm is a bit of a somber place to start. I know we got all the trees and the lights all set up and you're like, man, what a downer, Pastor Ryan. But I think it's important. I think it's important because we need to be reminded that the, the coming of Christ was not just a joyous occasion. When Jesus came, it was also a divine intervention. See, when the, the creator of the universe came down to be with us, he came to us in the midst of our suffering. He came to us in the midst of our waiting. And he came to us to answer that deepest cry of our heart, that cry for salvation. So this morning, I want to invite you to engage with some of those emotions. Right? I hope that this psalm has, has given you some permission to realize that, hey, it's okay if I get a little bit frustrated. It's okay if I'm growing a little bit impatient. But I also hope that this message would lead you towards the truth that God is both with you and that he is working in your waiting. He's both with you and working in the waiting. If you're taking notes this morning, those are my, my two points I'm giving to you right up front. Let's start with that first one, that God is with you in the waiting. Now I get that for many of you, this may not be a new revelation, right? Especially if you've been in church a long time or if you've walked through and seen this on a sign at Hobby Lobby or whatever, like we know, like God is with us. But do we really? I think we can have a tendency to hear truths like this and to and let them sort of go in one ear and, and out the other without really grasping what this means in our lives or without really living as if this were true. How do I know that? Well, I'll tell you why. Even in the phrasing I used about the one truth, right? I talked about God waiting on God. And that's how often we see it, right? I'm waiting on God for this answer. I'm waiting on God for this or for that. When the reality is, we're not waiting on God for anything. We are waiting with God. To say you're waiting on God is to make it sound like you're just some like lost, sad little toddler just waiting for your, your father to come and find you. But scripture paints a much different picture of our heavenly father. Because his word repeatedly points us to the fact that his presence is constantly with us. Listen to this from Isaiah 41 verse 10. It says, fear not for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I, your God, I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now, how can God do that? It's because he's with you. It's because he's with you. And that's not just an Old Testament promise either. Jesus himself says this. Some of the last recorded words that we have of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. Right? He gives the disciples his, the great commission. And then what does he do? He leaves them with a promise. He says, behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. Jesus doubles down on this promise that he is with us because he has always been. And so he always will be. So here's what that means for us, family. What it means that God is with us. It means that we're not waiting on him to act. It means that we are waiting with him while he acts. Do you understand that? 
When you think of the situations in your life that you are, feel like you're waiting on God, how much would that change your perspective if you saw yourself as waiting with God while he is working? Man, I feel like that would just shift our perspective. Give us that confidence, even in the midst of scary or uncertain times, knowing that God is with us. You know, a couple weeks ago, my wife, Lindsay, and I, we got to take our kids down to uh, Austin's Park and Pizza. You guys know that place, like the mini golf and, and all that sort of stuff. We went for Caleb's birthday, and my, my sweet little daughter, Avery, she got to come along for the ride. We got a, a picture of her here. I love that picture. If you know Avery, that is like just so her, right? So much joy, uh, so much beauty in that sweet little soul. Well, this was early in the day, and so a little bit later in the day, we go inside, and they've got this indoor roller coaster, okay? And Avery's like, yeah, I want to ride the roller coaster. I'm like, okay. And she's so excited. We get in line. We get on the ride, and she realizes she's made a huge mistake. <laughs> we're strapped in. There's not a whole lot we can do. And so we kind of go up, and we're about to hit that first dip, and y'all, she just loses it. All right? She starts crying. Naturally, I, I, I didn't really know what to do, if I'm being honest, but I just instinctively just grabbed her face, and I said, Avery Joy, I'm right here with you. Don't look around, just look at me. I said, Avery, don't look around, just look at me. And the rest of the ride, we did that. She had tears in her eyes, this look of, of terror on her face, but I just kept repeating that to her over and over again. And eventually, right, the ride comes to a stop. She survived, she made it through, and you guys probably aren't surprised, right? She was laughing just a couple of minutes later. So why do I tell you this story? It's not to, to put myself on some pedestal. I just did what any parent would do. I held my kid. I wanted to make my presence real to her. I wanted her to feel that and to know that I was with her. Man, I think God does the same for us. If you look at the Hebrew language, what you'll find is that the word for presence, it literally means face. Literally means face. So when the Lord tells you that he is present with you, this should be the image that you get in your mind. When you are in those moments of fear or doubt, it's like he is there with your face in his hand saying, I'm right here with you. Don't look around. Just look at me. Don't look around at everything else. Just look at me. Family, God is with you in your waiting. It's not a saying. It means something. It's the truth. And thankfully, it's not the only truth, because God is also working in the waiting. He's working in the waiting. For you note-takers, that is number two this morning. God is working in the waiting. And here's what that means. It means that God is more concerned with who you are becoming in the waiting than whatever it is you're waiting on. Let me say that again. God is much more concerned with who you become in the waiting than whatever it is you're waiting on or waiting for. That's why he has no problem making you wait. Some of y'all know that from personal experience, right? Because as he's testing your patience, what he's doing is he's also defining your purpose. As he tests your patience, he's defining your purpose. And that job right there, family, defining your purpose, that's a job for him and not for you. That's why he's the one working while you're the one waiting. Are you with me on this? This is so important for us to know that he is working while we are waiting. And there's such grace to be found in that family. I know it doesn't feel like it. I know it doesn't seem like it, but in our waiting, he is working, and we need to receive the grace that can be found in that. You know, I've got a, a mentor of mine. Uh, he, he likes to remind me of this truth quite often. He knows I have a tendency to, to overwork and to, to, to obsess over things, and so he constantly repeats this one phrase to me. He says, hey, you know, Ryan, when you work, you work. 
But when you rest, God works. Let me say that again if you didn't catch it the first time. When you work, you work. But when you rest, God works. And I'm going to be honest, the, 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 the part of me that loves to work, the part of me that craves control, that part of me absolutely hates that saying. But for the part of me that's tired, that's feeling a little weary, the part of me that's scared, that part of me, man, there is no greater truth to hold on to. He is working in our waiting. But what exactly does this mean? Right? How is God working in our waiting? Because oftentimes we, we can't see it, right? It feels like he's like behind a, behind a curtain. We don't know what he's doing back there. How is God working in our waiting? I think there's probably an infinite number of ways to answer this question, but I want to give you just a few here this morning. Just a few. The first is that in the waiting, he is teaching you to hear his voice. In the waiting, he is teaching you to hear his voice. You know, one of my favorite things to do with the people that I get to disciple is to just take them through this simple act of listening prayer. It's nothing fancy. It's just where I guide them in asking some questions of the Lord and then in waiting long enough to actually hear him answer. And what, what surprised me is probably nine times out of ten when I lead somebody through this is that they tell me that they've never been taught this, that they've never practiced this, this act of waiting on the Lord of pausing long enough in our conversation to actually hear what he, the, the creator of the universe, might have to say. One of the reasons I think there's such grace to be found in the waiting is that he's using it to teach us to hear his voice. Now, I want to be clear here in saying that it's not like he's tired of hearing you talk. right? He wants to hear from you. He, he desires that relationship. But we need to be reminded that he might have some things to say to us too. Let's be honest, it's awfully hard to hear his voice over the sound of our own sometimes. Which makes me wonder, do you know what the voice of God sounds like? Do you know what the voice of God sounds like? The answer is not Morgan Freeman, for the record. <laughs> I think that's what all of us like. Let's be honest, we hear that in our heads, right? But if God were you to speak today, are you confident that you would actually know it was him? Why don't you think about this? See, I'm guessing if I, were to, if I were to call you from like a blocked number and I didn't tell you who I was at first, it'd probably only take you a couple of minutes and you'd be like, Pastor Ryan, is that you? Why? Because you hear my voice for about 35 minutes every single Sunday. You would know it was my voice because you hear it all the time. The question is, do you know what God's voice sounds like? Or you've been spending too much time listening to the sound of your own. Family, it's in the waiting that we learn to hear his voice. And the great thing is that once we learn to hear his voice, then we can learn to trust in him. It's the second thing God is doing when he's working in the waiting, is he is teaching us to trust in him. He's teaching us to trust in him. And, and y'all, this one's so hard. Because what do we do in the waiting? We look for shortcuts, don't we? Let me give you an example. When I was uh, living in California, I was commuting uh, back and forth to downtown Los Angeles. Y'all... It was brutal. This is not traffic, what you see here on 35. I used to sit in the car for three hours every single day. And so what I would do naturally, right, when I'm, when I'm in the car and I'm frustrated, I would look for any shortcut I can find. I could care less what my iPhone said. I was going to find that one random street that nobody knew about, and I was going to get home when I wanted to get home for once. But do you know what happened every single time that I took a shortcut? It didn't work. <laughs> Every single time I got home later than I, I wanted to, more angry than I probably should have. And the same thing's true when we try to get out ahead of God. 
right? When, rather than looking for the, the purpose in the process, we push forward. We want to blaze our own trail, which is why so often God leads us into the waiting so that we will learn to trust in him. If you were to open up your Bible pretty much to any page, I can almost promise you it's going to be a story about somebody waiting on God, waiting with God, excuse me. Almost always, because God leads us into the waiting so that we learn what it means to depend on him because we are waiting with and for him. Let's take Abraham, for example. Y'all remember Father Abraham? Right, well, before Father Abraham had many sons, he had no sons, okay? But he had this promise from God. God said he was gonna make him a father of many nations. But Abraham got tired of waiting. And so what did he do? Did what any guy would do. He found a shortcut. Only problem is that shortcut was sleeping with his wife's maidservant in order to, to go get for himself what God had already promised. And in the end, all Abraham did was really bring unnecessary suffering upon himself. That's what we'll come to find too when we try to rush out and we refuse to wait on God's timing. We come to find that there is a cost that comes in rushing the process. And that cost that, that comes in rushing the process, it's actually missing God in the process. That cost when we rush ahead of the process is missing God right there in it. That leads to the third way I believe God is working. In the waiting, he is revealing himself to you. In the waiting, he's revealing himself to you. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Gospels, it comes in the, in the Gospel of John, and it's the story of, of Jesus revealing himself to, to Mary at, at the tomb. One of the reasons I love it so much is because I think that Jesus was rewarding her for her waiting. Let me explain to you what I mean. If you were to, to look at this story from John chapter 20, you'd see in the story that, that Mary, she goes to the tomb, and she, she's there first, and she sees that it's empty. Right, and so she runs and she tells the disciples. And so, so John and Peter, right, they, they do what any guy would do. They, they, they just rush off to the tomb. They leave Mary in the dust, right? And they get there and they see this empty tomb. And John tells us they were confused. They were bewildered by it. And they took off and they went back. But what happened to Mary? Mary stayed around a while. And in her weeping and in her waiting, Jesus revealed himself to her. Mary becomes the first person to see the resurrected Jesus. And listen, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a time of intense waiting. But what I've come to discover is that it's in those moments, in the midst of our weeping and our waiting, when Jesus often reveals himself most clearly. I know for, for me, one of the most powerful examples I have ever witnessed of this happened about 10 years ago. When Lindsay and I were walking through a season of doubt. We were early in a pregnancy and we came to that moment where we knew that she was miscarrying our first child. And y'all, I'll never forget. We're driving to the hospital. We knew what was going on. And in the midst of the deepest pain, I look at my wife and I see this unbelievable look of peace on her face. In the midst of the darkest moment in her life, she was praising Jesus. And do you want to know why? It's because he was with her in that moment. We talked about this yesterday, and, and she told me, she said, I've never felt that much peace in my entire life. And the reason why she felt such peace is because Jesus was right there with her. He revealed himself to her in a powerful, powerful way. 
So listen, I can't pretend to know what you may be waiting on or waiting for in this season. But I do know that God is with you in the midst of your waiting. And I know that he longs to reveal himself to you. So please believe me when I say that your waiting is never wasted when you are waiting with the Lord. Okay. Now that we understand that God is both with us and working in the waiting, let's talk about how we are to respond to that. How do we respond to such grace? If you look back at our psalm, I think this psalmist actually shows us what that looks like. I don't know if you notice the shift that happens between verses 4 and verse 5. But this psalmist, it goes from a, from a psalm of lament to a psalm of, of praise. It goes from sorrow and despair to hope, and there is one reason why. It's because this psalmist made a choice to rejoice. Look back with me at verses 5 and 6. It says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So when we see that God is with us and that he is working in our waiting family, our only appropriate response is to rejoice. To rejoice in the waiting because we are confident in who God is. We're confident that he will do what he said he would do because that's who he is and that's what he does. Family, this is why Advent is so important. Because when we reflect on the Christmas story, we are reminded that, that God did answer the cries of his people. Right? And that 2,000 years ago, this psalmist's declaration of salvation, it found its fulfillment in Christ. And because he came, we too can rejoice even in the waiting. So I'm going to invite the, the band back up now. And I want to just close this. I know we've talked a lot about why we wait. I want to talk a little bit about the how. You guys know here at Awaken, we like to make the, the spiritual practical. And so hopefully now you've seen the value in the waiting. You, you know what God is doing, how he is working in the waiting. But still, how are we to, to resist this urge just to, to rush ahead? How can we learn to actually embrace the waiting? I want to make a suggestion to you. I want to suggest that it all has to do with where you're looking. It all has to do with where you're looking. Think about the moments or the seasons in your life where you wait. Where does your attention turn? Inward, on yourself, right? It could be a, a small thing like waiting at the dentist's office or waiting behind that guy at the, at the stoplight even though it's turned green, he hasn't gone yet. Or it could be waiting in seasons of infertility. It could be waiting for that call from that loved one. It doesn't matter what it is. If you, if you think about those moments, your attention always turns inward on yourself. But the key to rejoicing, family, is actually to turn our attention away from ourselves. Let me give you just a few suggestions for where you can direct your attention in the waiting. You can start by looking up. You can start by looking up. This one might be obvious to you, but when you look up, you're reminded that your Father in heaven has dealt bountifully with you. I love how that, that chapter ends. The reminder of how God has dealt bountifully with us. That word there that's translated bountifully. It's the Hebrew word gamal, and it has this idea of, of ripening, like what happens to fruit. And so the psalmist is, is looking up and, and realizing that even though his present circumstances may not have changed, he can see that God is working in him. That God is, is ripening him and changing him and growing him. 
So instead of looking at yourself, man, look up at your father. Be reminded of his faithfulness. But don't just look up. We can also look back. In these seasons of waiting, it's easy to get overwhelmed with these emotions of sorrow and, and despair. Our circumstances can, can feel so heavy on us. But instead of turning your attention in on yourself, family, look back and let God's past faithfulness be what fuels your future hope. That's why scripture reminds us over and over again to remember and to reflect on God's faithfulness. Lastly, rather than turning your attention on yourself, look around, look around. Because what so often happens when we find ourselves in this season of waiting is we view life as being somewhere off in the distance. Right? We see life as being somewhere out there waiting for us while we wait on it. That's why we always feel so stuck in our waiting. But let me remind you, family, we are Advent people. We were made for such a time as this. We were made to live in this in-between. So if you find yourself in the waiting, it's because God has placed you there and he's done so with a purpose. That purpose, family, it can be found simply by looking around. Because here's the beautiful thing about being Advent people. Here's the blessing that comes with living in the in-between space. It's that while we look back and remember Christ's faithfulness to step into the brokenness of our lives, we get to go and do likewise for others. That's what Advent people do. And family, that is what the world so desperately, desperately needs. People who are willing to step in. People who are willing to fully engage with the lost and the broken and the waiting. And that's what we as Advent people get to do. So listen, I'm gonna, I'm gonna close this message a little bit differently than I normally do. I wanna ask you, would you stand to your feet? I came across a hymn this week. It's about a hundred years old, but it is still so relevant for us today. And I just wanna read this over you before we go back into our time of worship. This hymn fittingly is called Advent People. It says, Advent people, watch and hope. God will not delay. God will bring the kingdom in. Meanwhile, work and pray. Advent people, watch and hope. Strive for what is just. God will make the crooked straight. Meanwhile, work and trust. Advent people, watch and hope. Weep and laugh and share. Bread with those you find in need till his coming care. Advent people, watch and hope. Christ that day will bring freedom, wholeness, joy, and peace. Meanwhile, work and sing. Advent people, watch and hope. God's good gift receive. Now and then are in God's hands. Work and rest and live. Awaken church, let's be Advent people. Let's not waste this time that we spend waiting. Would you join us now?